What's up, everyone? I'm Will Fulton, and this is Thrillist Best Podcast. So this week, I decided to call a bunch of my friends and colleagues to poll them on what they were watching for Comfort TV. You know, the things they were tuning into to drown their sorrows. And as it turns out, a lot of people turned to the same show at an astonishing clip, actually. Uh, biggest comfort show of all time is The Office. I've seen every episode at least five times, and honestly, there's nothing. It's like it's like Xanax on TV. You just put it on, and I feel instantly better. I love it. The Office is definitely one of my top comfort shows to rewatch on Netflix over and over. It's so funny. Every time you watch it, you can pick up something new, and you feel like you are just like friends with the characters and especially right now when none of us are in our offices it's funny to be reminded of like the banter between colleagues when you're all stuck in the same situation together every day my go-to show has kind of always been but definitely during the isolation i've been re-watching the office constantly i was a big seinfeld fan and though the shows are different there's a kind of similar comparison in their dry humor and it just always pulls me back in so I always watch The Office after I've had a bad day at The Office. <laughs> so with this information, we decided to not make this episode about comfort TV in general, as originally planned, but to focus on The Office specifically. Why does this show that hasn't had a new episode in seven years remain one of the most popular shows on television? Why do people watch the 200-plus episodes over and over and over again? And what is it about this show in particular that seems so comforting at a time like this? We're talking to writers Andy Green and Shay Serrano, who both have penned excellent works around the Office phenomenon. We talked to Office cast member Robert Schaefer, obviously better known as Bob Vance from Vance Refrigeration, to get some insight from someone on the inside. But first up... I called a media psychologist who specializes in explaining the often complicated nuances of comfort television to people like me who need a lot of help understanding that type of stuff. Her name is Pam. That was just a coincidence. Here's our call. Hello? Hey, is this Pam? Yes, it is. Hey, this is Will from Thrillist. Um, Hi there, how are you? I'm great. Is it okay if I just call you Pam? Do you want me to call you anything else? No, you can call me Pam. (laughs) That's just fine. Okay, cool. Uh, so, Pam, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, um, you know, what your work involves and, and where you're doing it? Uh, sure. Um, I am a media psychologist, but I have a long and varied path starting as a media producer uh, before I ended up in psychology, specializing in media and technology. So it's, um, it was a nice uh, way to, to link those things together because they are intimately related. I am faculty at Fielding Graduate University, which has a PhD and master's degree in media psychology, and I am also an independent consultant working with companies on a variety of media projects. Um, Largely, my area focuses on understanding audiences, audience engagement, and storytelling. Perfect. You are the perfect person to talk to. Um, So first question, this this is a little personal, but do you like The Office yourself? Well, I mean, the nice thing about The Office is, first of all, it's an ensemble cast. So there are a lot of emotional entry points because people relate to different characters. They relate to different situations. It's also a very smart comedy. I mean, it's it's irreverent in all those things, but it's very smart. It gives you layers of understanding. So it's one of those shows that you can watch more than once because, you might, you might find something else funny. You might see something else in a slightly different way. Um, 
because there's this ensemble and because uh, there's this familiarity because it ran for so long, it's also very comforting to go back and visit people you know and mm. see the world that, where you spent so much time and just sort of, you know, connecting back to that kinder, gentler world that we um, think we used to have. So it's, <laughs> You know, it provides comfort on a, on a number of levels. And then, you know, the truth is that any narrative, narrative arc, any kind of resolution gives us a physiological reward. It releases um, the reward center hor- um, hormones and uh, neurotransmitters just because you've achieved closure. So you're anticipating a storyline, you're anticipating a challenge, and then, you know, they sort of sort it all out and it's like, yay! And your brain goes, yay, and then it releases some endorphins. I totally get that. Do you think that there's anything, you know, it does seem like, obviously a lot of people said The Office was their go-to comfort television, but it does seem that a lot of other people prefer things that have some type of formula, you know, whether it's the great British Bake Off um, that is a reality show set up or something like Law & Order where you kind of know the way that things are going to happen and then the order and you can just kind of sit back and be comfortable with that. Well, you know, right now, there is no order. And it's uh, human beings hate to not know. It makes us feel very vulnerable. It triggers our fight or flight syndrome. So we're all operating under this uh, cloud of anxiety. And, and I love all the memes reminding people that it's okay not to be productive in a pandemic. Right. Because it's difficult to be productive when your body's trying to get you ready to, you know, to race or fight or do one of those things. So the predictability is a way of reaffirming that there is order in the world. It makes us feel safer. It sort of tells us, yes, there are some things that still work like they're supposed to. And if we feel better, if we feel reassured, that actually has a halo effect into how we go about our lives. But do you think that escaping through TV, escaping through watching three hours of The Office uh, a day, are there any downsides to that for mental health is it a, is it a safer escape than you know i know that i personally have been drinking a lot during this pandemic um how would you equate those two things as ideas of escapism escapism is a bad thing right it means you're shirking your responsibilities as a as a human being and being present in life exactly so i think we have we have to quit thinking of it like that and we have to you know give ourselves a whole pass here and others, right? And so as I was saying before, if you find something to do, whether it's three hours of the office or three hours of knitting, if you find something to do that is making you feel better, you're making keeping your mood up, all of those things, I would say do whatever it is. The only caveat I would have is that what we don't want to do is two months from now have everybody has gained 50 pounds <laughs> and damage their health because they haven't moved off the couch. Right. But But if you're... Um, if you're balancing media consumption with a certain amount of movement, trying to eat a little, you know, quasi healthy, I think, you know, everybody who drinks is probably drinking more. I just picked up wine yesterday, but I wouldn't worry about how much you're watching. And the only exception to that is the news. Mm. If you spend your time watching, you know, coronavirus story after coronavirus story, that can impact your emotions in a negative way. So you really have to be careful not to increase your anxiety in trying to get the information that would actually make you feel better. So that's the one place where you have to really exert 
cognitive override and say, is this really, am I getting anything more out of this? Am I getting information that's really going to impact what I can do? Because otherwise, man, go to the office. Right. Yeah, totally. Uh, Or maybe just like space them out a little bit, you know, like, like, uh, it's uh, when you're at a bar, right? you you should, right. you should stagger, <laughs> stagger, drink with water, drink with the water to make sure you're not hung over. Maybe the water version is the office, like slide some office right. in there. <laughs> yeah, this was awesome, Pam. I really appreciate your insight. And I think it's going to add a lot. And thanks for putting kind of an academic spin on all this. Oh, you're very welcome. Anytime. Yeah, that's right. Stay safe. Watch the office, right? Exactly. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Pam. That's okay. Uh-huh, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, next up is Andy Green. He's a writer for Rolling Stone who recently released an oral history on The Office. It's awesome. You should check it out. But first, here's our call. Hi, hello. Hey, is this Andy? Uh-huh, yes. yes. This is Will Fulton from Thrillist. How are you doing? I'm doing great. What do you think it is about The Office that keeps drawing people back? And what do you think it is that kind of makes people feel better about themselves? Well, I think part of it is there's nine seasons of the show that there's 202 episodes and the vast majority of it is extremely funny. And then it's hard to find these days. It's hard to, it's hard to find something that you can put on and just know you're going to laugh, which lets you escape and you can, and you can just binge hours and hours of it and just kind of leave your world, sit in Scranton, you know, in the world of before the pandemic and even before social media in so many ways, it's, it's like a time capsule of a very distinct era, and then it brings you back to an easier time in your own life. I think they cram in a lot of jokes, and like the fifth time you see a certain scene, you see Stanley's facial expression in the back of a meeting or something, and you laugh again. That it's an ensemble show of like 14, like, that like that are main characters, and by the end, it's like 19 characters. And they're always doing stuff, and they shot it once. So they really packed the frame and they were always in character. So even if the scene is even Pam by the by, by by reception, you you can see accounting it in the background and you can see Kevin doing something and smiling and, and reacting to it. That you that you can catch different things if you watch it if you, if you watch it over and over. So yeah. the other thing too about the office that it I, I understand why people turn to it to be comforted, to feel good. But there are so many episodes that are just so awkward and so, I think the right word is cringy, that it gives me anxiety sometimes. I'm thinking of one episode in particular. Two of my favorite episodes are basically just based around cringy awkwardness. One is The Dinner Party, and then the second one is Scott's Tots. Um, Both of those episodes are pretty extreme. Yeah, and they were both written by the team of Gene Stagnitsky and Lee Eisenberg and I, I, I spent I spent hours talking to those guys, and they told me that every that each writer they saw Michael in a different way. That some saw him as a huge asshole, and, and some saw him as really dumb, and 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 some saw him as like very conniving. But but they saw him as just pathetic, a pathetic person, and they love cringe comedy. So with both Scott's Tots and the Dinner Party. They tried to put him in the most awkward situation that they could possibly think of. <laughs> just watch him sweat. And for some people, it's just too much. I know some fans of shows, and and 
they can't watch Scott's talk. It's just too hard for them, or I love it. Also, that song is, is consistently stuck in my head. The song by Hunter, his assistant. She took me oh, by yeah. the hand. That's just a great, that's just a I, good song. It was written by Todd Fancy of the new pornographers who uh, I actually interviewed it in the book. And he told me, you know, he, he told me the entire story of that song. It's really funny. But my theory is that it's based off of the Derek and the Domino song. The Derek and the Domino song, um, I Am Yours, off of the Layla album. Have you ever heard that? Yeah, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. It yeah, sounds I, a lot like it, right? It has, yeah, 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 yeah. It has that kind of yeah. slide guitar. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) I just always connect the two. I don't know. So in writing this book, diving into the office and talking to the creators and the people on the show, what was one thing that you learned that, I guess, what was a misconception that you had that was broken? Or what was the single biggest surprise that you learned? I think my biggest misconception, it was that a bunch of the scenes are, are, I imagine, that they would improv a lot. Mm-hmm. It was like Tribune enthusiasm where they would really go off script a lot. And it's just not true. It was mostly very tightly scripted with small moments of improv. I think the biggest thing that surprised me was that James Gandolfini, that he was nearly cast as the new boss after Steve Carell left. Do you know what kind of character he would be playing? Would he yes. just be doing yes. Tony? Or? No, 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 no. They had it all fleshed out for him that he really wanted... He was he was very eager to show his range and be seen as sort of as like not a like mafia boss. So they made a character in which he was a sort of big hippie that had a ponytail, very mellow, was was big just and a whisper, be very cool. But every once in a while, he would explode in a psychotic rage. They met with him and he was into it, but he got cold feet mm. and and he he backed out. Um, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. Your book is excellent. I think that everyone, everyone should order it, especially if you're an Office fan, even if you've seen it a million times. The Office, the untold story of the greatest sitcom of the 2000s by Andy Green. Andy, thanks so much. And thank you. I, 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 so much fun. So thank you very much. Thanks, Andy. Okay. Bye. All right. Next up, we have Shea Serrano. He writes for TheRinger.com and he created the very excellent PDF of illustrated Office essays called Conference Room. Five minutes. Here's our conversation. Hello. Hey, Shay. What's up? Hey, this is Will from Thrillist. What's up, Will? What's up? How are you? Chilling. When I say that 75% of the people I called mentioned The Office as their go-to comfort show, does that surprise you? Uh, it does not because it's a show that I that I watch regularly as well, so I just assume everybody does whatever it is that I do. You know, we're all sort of on the same rhythm. I find myself that I watch The Office a lot more when I'm alone. And I think that's interesting. Like if my girlfriend goes away for a week, I'll just let The Office play in the background, like doing whatever I do. And I, I think it's like, it just makes you feel a little bit less alone. Do you think The Office has that appeal where you just kind of turn it on and you like to feel like you're hanging out with this group of people in Scranton? I imagine that's a, that's definitely a part of it, yeah. Because after a while, if you spend enough time with a show, then you know you're excited when you get to see those characters again. You're like pumped to see them again because you know you don't have to worry about like somebody, one of your favorite characters dying or whatever. It's just like, oh shit, I'm gonna hang out with fucking Jim Halpert for a little while today. 
What are some other reasons you think The Office is so well-suited for repeat viewings, watching the same episode, watching the whole series three, four, even like five, six, seven, eight times? Uh, for, for me, okay, so if I'm, if I'm like listing them in order, for me, as I mentioned, I can, you can watch it sort of risk-free without having to worry too much about your favorite characters. There, there, there aren't even a bunch of like super sad moments in there. There are a couple, mm-hmm. but for the most part, it's, it's just everybody having a good time. So there's that, you know, you know, you can sort of turn off your, your defense mechanisms that you might need for a sadder show. Um, also, it's just funny. It's it's a really well written show. The jokes all still land, but I think mainly the for me the the main reason that I that I enjoy it is there's just a familiarity there that it's just comforting. Um, I like I like I like to I like to know what's going to come next, and especially in a time like we are right now, where we sort of don't know anything about anything. We don't know what our day-to-day lives are going to look like for the next six months or something like that. Like we like, there's, there's no way for you to know we could get a thing like there could be an alert tomorrow. And we're like, okay, actually nobody can go anywhere at all. You can't leave your house for any reason or, or now you have to wear a mask every time you leave your house or there's stores. these stores are all closing and you're never going to see them. Like there's, there's an uncertainty in our daily lives right now that wasn't there before. So if you have a show that makes you feel the opposite of that, and like you can turn it on and go like, oh, this is the episode where this happens. Or this is the episode where that happens. And I, like I know the pacing here and I'm ready for the cold open. The office allows you that, number one, a feeling of normalcy, but number two, you just know you, you there's no surprise when you watch it. And that's, that to me feels very good, especially right now. The other thing about The Office, I think you look at other sitcoms um, like a Seinfeld or even and It's Always Sunny. Those are very laugh focused. They're they're hilarious also. And I think The Office is funny, too. But I think The Office hits a nice middle ground between having these plot lines like the Jim and Pam rom-com is is one that's easy to point out, but also like keeping the laughs consistent. Do you think those plots that go over seasons and over the course of episodes, help with the rewatchability too, because you're not just laughing; you're actually following the storylines. Yeah, that that helps a little bit. I think maybe for me, anyway, more more than there just being a storyline to follow, is every once in a while there's there are these like very tender moments that other shows like that. It's always sunny in Philadelphia might not give you. Charlie's going to show up and and do a bunch of silly stuff, and it's always great. To, to see that or to watch him and Dennis singing the Nightman Dayman bit like that's that's super funny to watch but like sometimes you especially if it's late at night or if it's like you know the, your, your day is winding down and you sort of want to relax like I might I might feel like I want to see Pam have her heart broken at the art show only for Michael Scott to show up and sort of save the day like that's a very touching sincere moment and sometimes you you need that. You know, I want to see that or I want to see, I want to see Jim show up and finally ask Pam out or I want to see, I want to see Michael and Aaron, you know, I want him to realize she looks at him as like a father figure and then they do that whole bit or whatever. Like the, the, the office allows for those sorts of just like hugs basically for your, for your heart that most other shows can't quite pull off. 
And on the flip side of that, what do you think about episodes like, obviously, the legendary Scott's Tots episodes that are the height of cringe TV? Do you think that there's a place for cringe comedy within the realms of comfort TV? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because there's nothing better. There's nothing better than like you hearing about a super sucky thing that happened that you would never have to experience. Like you just, it's like, like juicy gossip almost. You're like, Oh man, did you hear that this thing happened? Like at this point, every, everybody on the show, they feel like they're your friends and you get to watch one of your friends live through this thing that you're just like the whole time you're watching it. You're saying to yourself, I'm so glad this isn't me. I can't believe he has to sit in this classroom and, and do this and say this thing. Like you just, yeah, that's that, that's comforting because you know that this is not going to touch your life in any way at all. Uh, okay, so if you had to be stuck in quarantine with one office character, who would you choose? This is a tough one, I'm sure. Um, no, nah, this is not this is not tough at all. I want to be stuck in quarantine with with uh, Jim is probably my first pick. Okay, just because he's the the, I think the most charming person on there separate of Michael Scott, but you don't have to worry about like all the silliness that Michael Scott is going to bring. Sure. Um, it's going to be, it's got to be either Jim or if not Jim, Pam, who I think is like appropriately scared <laughs> whenever she needs to be. Um, and then after that, I guess my last, my third place pick would be Dwight just because I know he's going to be prepared. There, there's no situation where, <clears throat> where, you, where they're like, okay, we have to shut everything down for six months, and and he doesn't have all of the supplies that you need. You know, he's a guy. He's like he's the guy who's prepared. So, so give me those three. Those are solid picks. Do you not think Jim might might just might get a little annoying? I I'm thinking all of the qualities. Maybe Daryl would be a good substitute for Jim. Maybe a little bit more laid back. Maybe an easier hang. Jim might try to mess with you a little bit. You know, if he was your roommate. Maybe, but we saw we saw the the episode where him and Daryl have their they they live together. Sure. Um, the, Jim was definitely more my speed. Um, I'm not I'm like a sloppy person as it is, so we would just be like our house would be terrible, but we would at least have fun. Well, that's what matters. I'm also thinking about Robert California because his house is great. Oh, absolutely if we could go not. to his house, hell no, <laughs> no, hell no, no. <laughs> Things get a little weird. Yeah, yeah, that's not that doesn't seem like a good time at all. <laughs> I don't know. You could go there and broaden your horizons a little bit. Um, where can people find um, your excellent PDF of illustrated office essays, conference room five minutes, and also your new Scrubs PDF too, which I haven't checked out yet, but I'm going to because I'm also a fan. Um, probably the easiest way to find them is just go on my Twitter. Like I have them pinned on there, but also I tweet about them like every 35 seconds. So. <laughs> You just go there for a minute and you'll see it. All right, Shay, thanks so much. And everyone out there, um, find Shay on Twitter, download those PDFs, and also you're doing great shit, donating to a lot of great causes, the FOH Army, which is always appreciated. So, Shay, thanks for thanks for coming on. Thanks for everything you do. All right, homie. Yeah, be safe. Cool. Thanks, man. All right, now we have Mr. Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration himself, Robert Schaefer. Welcome to Hangouts Meet. Enter the meeting pin followed by the... Thank you. You're joining a call with one other person. Hello. Hello. Hey, this is Will from Thrillist. Is this Robert? 
This is Bobby Ray Schaefer. How are you? Bobby. Okay. How are you? I wasn't sure. Robert, Bobby, Bob. How'd it go? Any one of those, any one of those works. And my family calls me Rob. So, you know. Okay. I've done every possible perm, every possible permutation. <laughs> uh, I get, I'm, you know, I'm a William, so I get a lot of those too. There's a lot, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot that could go on there. That's right. Just don't call me Willie boy and we're, we'll be, we'll be fine. When Bob Vance says the name of his company, Vance Refrigeration, after, you know, he says his name every single time, is it because he's a shrewd businessman and he knows the cameras are on him? Is he plugging his business or is he just kind of a weirdo? No, he's plugging his business. I mean, he, he never uh, actually looks at the cameras, but he, he knows they're there. Yeah. He's aware of the documentary. Bob is the most aware guy in, in the room every time he goes in the room. He's, Bob, the key thing about Bob was Bob was a combat infantry officer, United States Marine Corps, Vietnam. Who is that guy? <laughs> that, that says everything about who he is, right? Yeah, I would like a Bob Vance spinoff, like the early years, the combat years. Well, that, that, that will help. <laughs> as long as I get to play myself. <laughs> yeah, they could do um, some, some like Irishman style digital de-aging to cover the early years and then pick up right when you got into refrigeration. Um, why do you think The Office has such an enduring legacy with fans to the extent where people will watch the entire series five, six, seven, eight times and also come up with these these fan theories and spent all their day thinking about, you know, this little office in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Well, they, they find something new when they rewatch the episodes, things that they miss the first 10 times through, (laughs) believe it or not. The jokes are still funny, even though you know they're coming. That's the same thing with Seinfeld. Seinfeld, the jokes are still funny. You you know what the joke is. You've heard it 10 times. But you still laugh at it. And that's what the office does. And that's, you know, the very rare in comedy. I mean, 10 years from now, will they be rewatching the Big Bang Theory? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't. I hope not. <laughs> not to offend anyone out there who likes the Big Bang Theory, but uh, I don't. It's hard for me to watch know, that for the to, first time. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I've seen a couple seconds of it. I can't stand those. But our archetypes, our characters, I think that's what everybody relates. To, you know, they know Phyllis, they know Dwight, they know, you know, Angela. Every every office has a Pam and a Jim. A lot of what I talked about with the media psychologist who came on and talked a little bit about Comfort TV in the office and some people who just have thought about this a lot is shows like The Office, they make you feel less alone because when you tune in, you kind of feel like you're part of The Office, like these are your friends, even if you just put them on in the background just to have some type of chatter. Um, and I think that's why so many people have turned back to rewatching the office during this time of crisis, during this pandemic. How do you feel about that sentiment as someone who was one of these characters or playing one of these characters? I think that's, it, that's what makes it relatable. I mean, again, we know these characters and, uh, and the ensemble, the magic comes from the, you know, the ensemble. Uh, I mean, you just don't really assemble groups like that that very often. Right. I mean, how, how long do you want to play Michael? <laughs> exactly. Although Michael Scott is one of the greatest uh, characters in TV history, and the fact that he never got an Emmy for that 
drives me crazy. I can't believe it. I mean, it's such wonderful nuanced uh, work. I'm I'm looking up some of the people that won over over him during during the years he was nominated. Tony Shalhoub for Monk, that was one. Ricky Gervais for Extras, that's interesting. All considering the yeah, that's a good one. The history there. Alec Baldwin, Thirty Rock, that was pretty good. Um, Alec Baldwin again. Yeah, I don't know. Jim Parsons, Big Bang um, Theory. Yeah, there's a couple robberies here for um, Steve Carell. Yeah, I must say. Oh, for sure. Jim Parsons again. Okay. Oh, well. Yeah, what are you going to do? Um, he's, got plenty, he's got plenty of statues, and we don't have to worry about Steve Carell. <laughs> That's probably true. Right. And uh, what do you think right now if, if out there in the fictional world of The Office in our alternate universe, what are Bob Vance and Phyllis doing right now during quarantine? How are they passing the time? Having sex. Okay. Eating. Okay. <laughs> in that, well, or, in that order? Hey, well, yeah, you, you okay. have sex, then you eat. Okay. You know, right. you, you, you're, too, you're too sluggish if you do it the other way. Okay, yeah, I'll take your word for that. I believe it. You know, they're, they're sexual athletes, let's face it. I mean, that's also one of the funniest moments ever is when we went to uh, Valentine's Day when uh, Blood Drive. We yeah. go to lunch with Jim, Jim and Pam, and we sneak out and have sex in the disabled, uh, the handicapped <laughs> restroom, disabled restroom, whatever you call it. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I just want you to know the only reason that Bob and Phil did that was because Bob looked around and, and saw there, there were no disabled people, so he, he felt like it was free to use. You know what I mean? There you go. That's what I'm saying. Like, Bob's a shrewd he, businessman. Yeah, see. That's right. He wouldn't have gone in there. <laughs> Say there was somebody in a wheelchair in there, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have done that. They were just going in the men's room. This was awesome. I really appreciate you giving your insight to someone, you know, that was on the show and was making it. And, uh, yeah, it, it, as, as trivial as it sounds, it, watching the show brings a lot of people comfort and joy, especially right now when there's not a lot of that going on. So, um, I, I, I appreciate you having me on. I'll do a, a quick plug for myself. Please. Uh, go to Amazon Prime. They rent a little mockumentary that I made called Dick. Bigster. Okay. It's a comedy. It's about a Hollywood director and he's forced to remake his only hit horror film into porno. It's you know, it's a love story. <laughs> Sounds like it. <laughs> it's it's available on Amazon Prime and YouTube and Google Play and Redbox and Voodoo and all kinds of places. Thanks again for coming on and your legacy lives on as Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. That's my line. Bob Vance. <laughs> Advanced refrigeration. Uh, so Thanks smooth. Lot, Will. So smooth. Thanks, Robbie. Appreciate it. All right, buddy. Take care. Bye. All right. Last but certainly not least, we have Thrillist's own senior entertainment writer, Esther Zuckerman. She's going to give her take and also lay out some recommendations for other shows that you might like to binge if you've watched The Office way too many times. Here's our call. Okay. Let's try this again. Esther's phone. Hey, Esther, what's up? What are you watching for Comfort TV? Mostly when we weren't watching movies, we watched The Office, largely. Um, and then we actually switched um, when uh, when Community came to Netflix. Um, and we've been re-watching Community, which I think sort of hits some of the similar buttons of The Office. But I think the absurdism of it um, has been really sort of has been something that I've really gravitated towards in this period. Just 
the sense it is such a heightened reality um, that it's nice to disappear into because community for so much of the show is sort of a fantasy um, in its own weird way. And I've never watched Community actually, so I need to I need to check it out. It has I know it has a great ensemble cast, and that's one thing I kept getting from people about The Office is they love watching The Office because they love the characters, they love the actors, and they like to disappear into that world and feel like they are with these people who are like their friends. Weirdly, I think one of the things like so during you know the social distancing age that is weirdly so i mean my boyfriend and i were talking about as we were watching that is weirdly sort of comforting is the idea of of an office (laughs) none of us are going when none of us are going into the office you do sort of feel nostalgic for that weird community that springs up around there the weird sort of camaraderie that and awkward relationships that you have with people in your office not that we have any awkward relationships. No, really, not at all. Like. It's very smooth. Everyone's very socially uh, advanced and it's great. <laughs> yeah, no, but I think you, I think like, I think some of that nostalgic factor might be why people are sort of gravitating towards it right now is that like, you know, you long for, you long for that. You long for the sort of, I mean, and, and that's sort of the beauty of the show is the sort of, you know, the underlying sort of sweetness, the like, the fact that Michael himself, like, is ultimately, for all of his flaws, someone who cares about the people that work with him. Right. Um, maybe that's something that people are, like, feeling right now. But, you know, I do think it's, I, I, I you know, I do think people are watching, but I, I do think there are, like, a lot of options of sitcoms that people are watching and people that, uh, that I've seen people sort of, like, talk about and things that people are, you know, having a sitcom on in the background is just something that's, I mean, it's always been helpful for me, um, regardless of the time period, (laughs) regardless of the weirdness of the era that we're living in. Yeah, me too. And I, that's like, that's something I've, I've, I've heard a lot too, is just, and I do this also, I, I think I watch The Office most when, Keller, my girlfriend, is out of town, and I just kind of have it on in the background because it sounds weird, but it really does make you feel a little bit less alone, even if you're not totally paying attention to it. Yeah, I mean, I always watch like I all my whole thing is like I always sometimes if I'm like if I can't sleep in the middle of the night, like I will just put on an episode of yeah, and, and frankly, usually it's like not the office. I mean, for me, my go-to's have, have over the years been. I mean, I'm probably of the NBC of sort of the modern era of NBC's must be TV. Um, 30 Rock is really where I, my, my heart lies. I'm like a huge 30 Rock fan. Yeah. Or, um, but New Girl is another one that I love. I love New Girl. And I think um, that's a show that I, I know a lot of people tend to rewatch. Um, the, actually, an, another friend, um, uh, Another friend, um, Emily, over at Vox, uh, wrote a recommendation about now is the time to watch New Girl because it is sort of more of a right. traditionally like a warm and fuzzy show. It is sort of a it is a show that's that's you know its main mode is sweetness and friendship, um, uh, but it's also has a lot more of an edge than you think it has if you just think it's like the Zoe Deschanel adorable show um what I love about that show is it's largely about like 
the male roommates and their feelings um, and how their, their inabilities to deal with them. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's one happy, happy endings is another one that I have, that I've rewatched a lot, um, which is short lived. So it was only three seasons. So there are not as many episodes to go off of, but is sort of similarly a friend group show that's really comforting in a way. But I also, you know, I I was watching a little bit. I know people have been watching a lot of Cheers. Yeah. Um, Cheers is on, on Netflix. Um, a lot of people, you know, you know, Cheers is, I mean, it's one of the best that comes of all time. And it is a weird, I was watching a little bit of that. And that is a weird phenomenon of like bars. If you could go to a bar right now, um, it'd be so great. Um, right. And, you know, all of those shows you mentioned, and obviously The Office fits that bill. I feel like they have a formula, you know, they have, you know exactly what you're getting when you go into it. You know, the episode is going to be laid out. You know, there's going to be a resolution at the end. There might be some plot lines that run further than one episode, but you get a sense of closure. And I think that's important to people right now. Yeah. I mean, that's like, I mean, that is sort of, that is the pleasure of a sitcom. Um, Sitcoms are, that is the beauty of them. Like, I mean, I don't, that is not really the case with like sort of some of the teams, teen dramas but like i mean i think for other people it's procedurals you know um law and order um svu Mm -hmm. sort of having you know obviously this is like the interesting thing about this is like when i talk about nostalgia like it's nostalgia for like a different era of tv production yeah well you know the one thing you mentioned that I've kind of been putting off watching this but community it's on Netflix now it seems it just it seems great it seems like a great alternative I think the thing about community is that even more so than the office or 30 rock or any of these shows that we're mentioning like it was a really like experimental show it started off it starts off with this basic premise of you know a bunch of misfits sort of find each other um, at and become a study group at a community college and then it becomes sort of like a referendum on like sitcom tropes movie tropes um it episodes are we're really conceptual and sort of bizarre it's it's you know it is like it's a show that's the very it's very meta it's very self-aware like it's it's very referential to itself and other things. I mean, if you are a person that like, just, you know, like love sort of tons of weird references, like that's the show for you. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's also a show that, um, it's also a show that sort of exists in the fantasy, like it truly exists in the fantasy world where like, a game of paintball becomes a like becomes an action movie or becomes a western or becomes star wars like those are like three you know it the we just we watched like one of the great episodes which is like basically an entire joke about the film my dinner with andre um mixed with a pulp fiction parody like it's you know it's it's very it's like a lot but it's but it is one of genius it's like totally genius Okay, cool. Esther, thanks so much. And um, hopefully Thank I'll you. see you soon. It was great talking to you. It was great to hear your voice. Great to see, great to see you. Well, um, hear from you. Yeah. <laughs> I can picture you. Yeah. <laughs> I know what you look like. Yeah. All right. Take okay, it easy. Okay, bye. Bye. 
All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed. Uh, if you have a second, drop a review wherever you're listening. Why don't you tell me about your favorite Office episode? I know mine is the dinner party, and I'm actually going to go watch it right now while I make dinner. But first, I want to give a big thanks to everyone who helped out on this episode. Megan Kirsch, Jim D'Amico, Brett Kushner, Emily Feld. It was produced by myself and Mia Fask. I also want to lay out a big thanks to Dan Byrne, who edited and mixed this episode and did an excellent job, might I add. All right. Thanks for everything. Watch The Office, and we'll see you next week. Bye.